0: Good morning. morning. Smooth transition with Jay today, sort of. (laughs) We're working on it. Uh, Could I just, yeah, Dina, if you could help me out or Don. I don't know if I'm centered, but all right, that's good. Thank you. How's everybody doing? Okay. Yeah, I, I got up. Um. This morning, and I was wondering where summer went, and this um, weather makes you sleepy, doesn't it? This weather is the kind of weather where it's all about your mindset and the power of your mind to be joyful. Um, But it is good to be with you. This is possibly one of my last times sharing, preaching, as you see, um, for a while, not last time ever. You'll get more of me in the future, (laughs) But our baby girl is almost arriving, so it should be two to three weeks and she, I mean, she could come anytime now, but hopefully if all goes well, (laughs) in two to three weeks she'll be arriving and it's a really exciting time for us. Jade is finally, I think, starting to understand the concept of being a big sister. This whole time we've been telling her there's a baby in my belly and she points to it but doesn't really get it. And now she's starting to say like, come out, come out. <laughs> so um, I tell her that's not really how it works right now. It's just to wait. The baby's sleeping. So, um, but anyway, it's a really exciting time. And I do want to take this chance to say thank you so much. Thank you for... The care, thank you for the love that you have shown towards me and Ruben, especially last week with the baby shower and everyone who was involved in that, with Alana and Nina and just everyone who made it happen and participated and gave us lots of nappies. Thank you. I think we're stocked with nappies for the next three months. Hopefully, maybe that'll last three weeks, but we'll see. But thank you so much. And I think I can speak on behalf of Pedro and Jode as well. Uh, they're on holiday, as many of our people are on holiday. Who's gone on holiday this year? Who's already gone on holiday? Who's still going to go on holiday? Wow, OK. <laughs> so hopefully you won't all go at the same time and it'll be rotational. <laughs> uh, but Pedro and Joday are on holiday at the moment. And uh, we're going to meet them hopefully today or tomorrow. But they're also expecting. And so I think I speak on behalf of them as well. Just how appreciative and how thankful we are for the love and the support that you've shown towards our families. And these babies that are going to join us soon. Um, But I always thought that was an interesting expression. I don't know how many of you are familiar with that expression. But to say that someone is expecting. To when there's someone, when a woman is pregnant, the English expression usually says, Oh, she's expecting. And I think that's weird because they don't usually finish the sentence. They don't say, like, she's expecting a baby, they just say, She's expecting. (laughs) And at the same time that it's a bit funny, I think it's true, it's accurate. We're not just expecting a baby, we're expecting all kinds of things that are going to come with that. Our lives are going to change and, and the emotions and the sleepless nights and the, just how having going from a family of three to going to a family of four. And just Day and I, for example, it's been very interesting and, and she might be watching online now or she'll hear it later. But it's been super fun to actually share this season with her at the same time. We're exactly 10 weeks apart, so I'll be 37 weeks this week. For those of you who don't know and only count in months, that is nine months already. Um, She's meaning that she's 27 weeks. And so not only are we a few weeks apart, but Peter and Jode are expecting their first baby and their first son. And Ruben and I are expecting our second baby and our second daughter. So our expectations of what is to come are quite different based on what we know, based on what we've experienced. Joe Day, for example, is watching all kind of YouTube videos and Googling things to understand what is she gonna get herself into when labor comes. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm not watching YouTube. I'm just remembering and recounting everything that I've been through with Jade. And so I kind of know the hospital I'm going to and the procedures that may or may not happen. And so our expectations are quite different based on our experience, based on the things we value based on our priorities, based on the futures that we hope for. And whether you've had a baby or not, (laughs) whether you are pregnant or not, we all have expectations pretty much in everything in life. We all expect something out of life, whether it's your job, whether it's your relationships, whether it's church, whether it's just, you know, you came to church this morning and you had an expectation of what your morning was going to look like. We hope for the future. We, we imagine things for the future. And the dictionary actually describes an expectation as a strong belief that something will or should happen. Now I want to emphasize that should happen. It's a strong belief that something will or should happen. And so depending on our backgrounds and our upbringing and the values we've learned from our parents and the things that we've been through and our influences and our experiences and even our personalities, we strongly believe in certain things that will or should take place. And our Logic, based on the evidence that we have today, it shapes our understanding of what will or should happen tomorrow. Based on the things you know today, based on the things you see today, you form an expectation of what should happen tomorrow. And this can be a great thing. Expectation can be a great thing when our logic is accurate. When our logic is aligned with the truth. The problem is that our... That we are human and so often our logic is flawed and our understanding is limited but with that in mind and i want you to keep this kind of introduction about the way that we shape our lives and live our lives followed by our expectations today we're going to turn to a parable that is possibly one of the most famous parables in the bible it's the parable of the prodigal son who's heard this parable most of us not all of us some translations call it the lost the parable of the lost son and last week we heard reuben explain that parables are really just stories that are meant to illustrate and reveal spiritual truths and so jesus he loved to tell stories because he loved to show people the truth of who god is and in this particular moment in scripture Jesus felt the need to tell this story. By the way, I think Jesus just had this immense creativity to just come up with stories on the spot that would just relate to people and so they would understand the truths he was trying to transmit. And in this particular moment in Luke chapter 15, Jesus felt the need to tell this story about the prodigal son because he was being criticized for hanging out with sinners. The Bible says that he was having dinner and just... Spending time, spending quality time with tax collectors, which were were known to not have a good reputation. They They often lied. They were corrupt. They were all kinds of labels that people put on them. And then the Bible says tax collectors and sinners. So one can only imagine who those sinners were and what they've done. But the Bible says that the religious teachers at the time, they didn't think that that was an acceptable thing to do. And so Jesus had to tell this story to explain how hanging out with sinners, loving sinners, is not only acceptable, but it's our mission. In fact, it was Jesus' mission. The story of the prodigal son, it's meant to deconstruct the assumptions and the false beliefs that we may have about God, the expectations that those false, that those Uh, religious teachers had about God, it's meant to deconstruct those by revealing to us a God who is actually loving and merciful and ready to forgive all who come to him. And so my purpose here today and the desire of my heart today is that whoever listens to this message, whether you are here or whether you listen to it on Spotify later, my hope and my heart's desire is that you wouldn't leave guilty That you wouldn't leave feeling um heavy burdened but that you would feel leaving encouraged that you would feel leaving excited that you would leave feeling in love because you have come to know the heart of the father a little bit better that's the point of jesus parables is that we could know the heart of the father more and the more that we know the father the more we inevitably fall in love with him as we were singing this morning we've never known a love like his and the more that you get to know him the more incredible the more amazing it is the more freeing it is so the story begins in Luke chapter 15 I think it's up on the screen there Jesus continued there was a man who had two sons the younger one said to his father father give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. All right, so there is a father and two sons, and one of them essentially goes up to his dad and asks for his share of the inheritance. You see, this young guy, he had an expectation of what his life would have meant to look like. He had an expectation of what he wanted to be and the places that he wanted to go. He had an expectation. Of what he wanted his future to be like and what he was living now, this was far from it. He wasn't satisfied. He wasn't content. He wanted more for himself. He expected more for himself. Not only that, but he had an expectation of what he was entitled to, of what his rights were. And so when he goes to his father, he's not thinking about anyone or anything else other than the strong beliefs that he has about what will or should happen for his life. Now there's nothing intrinsically wrong with wanting a good future for yourself. But 2,000 years have passed since Jesus told this story. Our culture is very different from that culture. And yet I think we can all agree that what the son does by going to his father and asking for his inheritance, it's hurtful and it's offensive. He basically goes up to his dad and he says, hey, I wish you were dead, but since you're not, then just give me my money now and give me what I'm entitled to. I want you to give me ownership of what is yours, step out of the picture, and let me live my best life. That's basically what he tells his dad, and we look at that and we can easily judge the son. I mean, what kind of son would do this? To their father, especially if you come from a from an Asian background or you come from a Middle Eastern background, where where in those cultures we especially honor our elders and honor our parents and take care of those who have given us life. And this guy, he just goes up to his dad, completely disrespects him, and says, "You know, just give me what is mine. Step out of the picture, and let me live my own life." And we judge that and we think this is not a good way to start, man. (laughs) The problem is that so often we are the son and we treat God in exactly the same way. Matthew Henry, he says, it is bad and the beginning of worse when men look upon God's gifts as debts due to them. Our father has blessed us beyond our imagination with everything that we have and more. Your health, your family, your job, your smile, your skills, your talents, your personality. Everything that you have comes from the hand of the Father. He has given you all of that. And how often do we turn to Him, not only taking what we have for granted, but we demand more. And then we ask God to step out of the picture so that we can live our best life. We stop caring about God's will when it does not correspond with our expectation. God, I've been trying to do the right thing. God, I've been I've been in the house. I've been coming to church. I've been obeying you. I've been trying to be faithful, but I expected that by now I would be married. I expected that by now I'd have a better job. I expected that by now you would have healed me. By now you would have clarified things in my life. By now you would have met my prayer requests and just your will is not working out for me because this is not what I expected. And so we take what God has given us. We take the skills. We take the resources we take everything that he has given us and we invest it in all the things that we think will give us pleasure all the things that will meet our expectations and our happiness and to satisfy us can anybody relate to that this morning (laughs) or is it just this son that is rude and offensive if you've heard this story before you know that the prodigal son eventually leaves his father's house And in very little time, he wastes everything until he is poor and alone. And this is where we begin to see the father's heart. When the son demands his inheritance, despite how rude and hurtful that is, the father does as he asks. The Bible says he divides his land and gives it to the son. His love was not forceful. His love is not imposing. His love love gives freedom, even freedom to rebel, even freedom to walk away. I often hear people criticize God saying, how can a good father let people go to hell? And this is a hard question. This is a hard thing to face, and I've battled with this question myself. But then I think about it, and I think, how could a good father not? See, in this story, the father loves the son so very much, and yet he does not stop him from making his own decisions. At the same time, he doesn't stop the son or doesn't spare the son from the consequences of those decisions. Sure, the son enjoys life for a while. He goes to the best hotels and and spends nights with the most beautiful women and buys the most expensive clothes. But eventually, because of his choices, he encounters suffering and hardship like he's never known before. The point is that if you don't want God in your life, he will not force you to stay, and he will not stop you from walking away. He loves you that much. And though it breaks his heart, there are consequences for that decision. Because without God, we will never be truly satisfied. Without God, we will never find true peace or true joy or true purpose. And not only will we waste what he has given us in this life, but if we don't change our ways, then hell is our choice, not God's. It's the choice we make to live without him. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? God's heart breaks when we choose to live without him. But he won't stop us from making that choice. The good news is that the story does not end here. God rejoices when there is redemption. God rejoices when there is is repentance. There is hope and there is a turnaround for this son and this story. And no matter how far you have gone, no matter what you have done, and if this can be the one statement that you take away from this morning, no matter how far you have gone, there is salvation for you. There is a way back for you. And that is ultimately what Jesus wanted to share through this parable. When the teachers of the law criticized Jesus for spending time with people who had made mistakes in their lives, people who had done some very bad things, Jesus tells them this story so that they understand that the love of God has no end. The love of God knows no borders. The love of God doesn't hold a grudge. It doesn't keep a record of wrongdoings. Rather, it is so eager. It is so ready. It is so prepared to embrace us and to forgive us and to fill us with his mercy and his grace and shower his goodness upon us if we would only come home. And so let's pick up in verse 17. By now the son has spent everything and a famine hits the land. It's unexpected. Nobody could have predicted that. But by now he has nothing left. He has no money. He has no support system. He has no credibility. He's desperate to survive. And so he, he looks everywhere and he looks for a job. And he finds one feeding pigs. And at his lowest point, he's so hungry that he even envies the pig's food. And here's the thing that I found interesting as well. He realizes that he's messed up. He realizes that he's in trouble and yet his first reaction is still not to go home. His first reaction is to try to fix it. His first reaction is to try to make it work. He remembers what life was like with his father. He knows his dad is still there. He knows his dad still is the owner of many possessions. He knows his brother is back home and yet when things have gone to their lowest of the low of the low he still doesn't go home he tries to make it work he gets a job he works with pigs which were considered absolutely unclean in jewish custom he goes even to the extent of eating the pig's food that is how low this guy Is And I look at him and I think, wow, how little he understood his father's heart for him. He was so filled with guilt that his expectation was that his father would never take him back. He was so consumed by the bad choices he had made. He was so consumed by this heaviness of of guilt, of of making the wrong choices, that his expectation was, no, my father, he he would turn me away straight away. There's no point of even trying. There's no point of even going back home. So he tries to make things work on his own and he settles for this life. Many times I think the reason our churches are not full is because people do not know our Father's heart. They realize they've messed up and maybe they even realize that the life that they are living is is not the life that God had intended for them, that it could be better, that God could do something to help them and and to reshape and redefine their lives. But instead of coming to God, they try to make it work. They settle for less because in their understanding, God would never forgive them or embrace them after how far they've gone. And it's our job as a church. It's our job as Christians. It's our job as a family to say, "Come home," because you just you don't know the Father. Let me show you to a father who is ready to embrace you. Let me show you to a father whose love knows no borders. Let me show you to a father who is so ready to forgive you and to reshape you and form you and make you a new creation. It is never too late. You are never too far. Everyone is welcome through those doors because we know the father's heart and it is filled with a mercy that never ends. His love is like something you've never known before come you are welcome you belong in this place it is our job to tell people of who the father really is so let's pick up again in verse 17 it says when he came to his senses he said how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare spare and here i am starving to death The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This is one of the most beautiful images that I see in the Bible. It says that while the son was still a long way off, his father starts running to him, throws his arms around him and kisses him. That is surely not what the son expected to happen in fact he proceeds to giving his father the speech that he had prepared on the way there you know we've all done that before a confrontation or before a big conversation we run the words that we're going to say and what are we going to say and then if the person answers that then I'm going to answer this and so we prepared what we're going to say and that's what the son does Though his father embraces him, though his father is so joyful to see him, he tells his dad what he had prepared and says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just hire me as one of your servants. And so many people come to church thinking they they have to work to earn God's love. So many people come to church thinking that they have to work hard and put in all this effort to earn God's forgiveness. And maybe some of you even in here, maybe some of you who are listening to this message this morning, you are carrying guilt for the things that you've done and maybe some choices that you've made. And you think that the only way of getting back to God is by working for him, is by being pressured by this, this pressure to always do good. And that somehow, eventually, maybe your good will outweigh the bad that you've done and God will finally be pleased with you. I speak with so many friends, and um, especially in the Lisbon Project, people that come from a Muslim background, and, and, and they, they partake in the Muslim faith. And, and when I ask, well, how, how will you get to God? How, how do you get to heaven? How do you spend eternity with the Father? And their answer is always, well... I don't know for sure, but I can only try to do good and be a good person and be good to my brothers and be good to my sisters. And maybe when I get to heaven, then Allah will, out, will weigh my good and my bad. And, and hopefully my good will be more than my bad and I'll get to stay and he'll accept me. And yet Jesus tells this story so that you and I would know that that is not who God is. That is not the father's heart. While you are still far off. God will run to you and embrace you with his love. Every time that someone repents, everyone everyone who every time that someone decides to stop making it work, to stop fixing life on their own, every time that someone decides to come home, to come back to God, he is so quick to forgive. He is so quick to embrace. He is so quick to restore us. The Bible says in chapter, in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, if we simply come to God and say, hey, I messed up, I made some bad choices, I chose to live my life without you, I asked you to get out of the picture, I turned my back on you. If only we confess our sins, it says he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God doesn't do a half job with us. God makes us a new creation. He takes away our sin. He takes away our guilt. He takes away our burdens. And he says, I will make you something new again. And to the son's surprise, the father turns to his servants and he says, quick, quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. His dad calls for the servants to bring a robe and to place it on him. Not just any robe, but the best robe. See, while the, while the son viewed himself as unworthy, the father sees him as royalty. And then he asked for a ring from the time of Abraham to the time of Jesus. It was tradition and it was part of the culture that fathers would give rings to their sons. And the ring would represent authority and access and name. And it's amazing as you read of the four things that the father asked, he says, bring a robe and bring a ring and bring sandals to put on his feet and bring the fattened calf of these four things. They weren't necessarily needs that he was meeting. They were all meant to honor the son. They were all meant to uplift the son so that he would know that he was loved and accepted back home. Today, I want you to leave knowing that the father's heart is ready to embrace you, to make you feel loved, worthy, and accepted. He not only will meet your needs, but he will place you in a place of honor as a daughter and as a son. His love knows no end. It says in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, this is Jesus speaking. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is who our God is. He's not a God who holds grudges. He's not a God who holds a record of all the bad things that you've done, of all the mistakes that you've made. You know, at one point, Peter tells, asks Jesus. He says, hey, how many times should we forgive somebody? Is it around seven times? I mean... If you've ever been hurt by somebody, you know it gets a little frustrating, right? <laughs> How many times should I forgive someone? Seven times and Jesus turns to him and says, no, man. More like seven times, 70 times. His love is unconditional. His love forgives. And maybe some of you are, are thinking, "And man, but I've, I've been in this cycle with God. That I come to God and then I mess up and I leave God. I come to God and then I mess up and I leave God. And then I come to God and I mess up and I leave God. And you've done it so many times that now you just can't show face. (laughs) Now you just don't even have the courage to come back to him. And he says, come back. My love will always embrace. My love will always accept. My love will always take you back. If only you will turn. If only you will repent. If only you will hum, be humble before me. And so that's my prayer today. Is that as we come before God and we're going we're to go into a time of worship. And I just want you to be real. Just be real with him. Be real with where you're at. Be real with the things that you've done. Be real with the emotions that you feel. Be real with the guilt that you possibly have been carrying. And say, God, just meet me where I am. Run to me. Embrace me restore me, make me new, give me the courage to make new decisions, give me the courage to make better choices, God, I've really messed up big, and I'm dealing with those consequences, but God, just help me, rescue me, and the story, it, it goes on, and we get introduced to the older brother, and there's some lessons that we can learn there, and I encourage you to read this story, the rest of the story at home, but today, I, I just want to focus on the younger son, And more importantly, I want to focus on the heart of the Father towards Him. And if this is not for you, if this parable today, if it's it's not to encourage you as much, even though I think it encourages all of us, then I pray that you will be a channel to those who need to hear this message. Then I pray that you will take this truth, that you will be encouraged by the Father's heart, and that you will leave here so eager to tell everyone in your life that this love is for them, that this hope is for them, that this promise of a Savior is for them. So I want to encourage you to stand, and I'm going to ask Don and Yeva and Martha to come up. And in a while, we're going to have communion. And as we sing, um, maybe I'll ask also for the communion symbols to be handed out. And I'd ask you to wait. Don't take them yet. We'll take them together. I'll come back up. But for now, just open your heart and be real with God. Are your expectations clashing with the will of God? Have you left God because his will doesn't correspond with what you thought your life should be like now? It's time to align our will with the will of God because only at the center of his will will we find true peace and true purpose and true joy. Or are you like the son that you think that to come back to God, you have to work for his forgiveness? You have to try your best and do all the right things and be a good person so that he will be willing to redeem you. That's not how it works. That's not who our God is. He says, I don't want to hire you as a servant. You are my son. You are my daughter. Come home. Because it's never too late. So let's worship and let's pray.